0: Hey, how are you today? <laughs> hey. Hey. Hey, I am fine. How are you today? Pretty good. What's going on? Oh,
1: just sitting here looking at pictures of old Morgans on the internet.
0: <laughs>
1: Morgans, <laughs> are, Morgans are Morgans a kind of car. Okay. And I'm looking at pictures of them.
0: I, I got to look at what, what a Morgan. Morgan, M-R-G-N.
1: Morgan. That's right. Morgan. Morgan plus oh, four.
0: Oh my gosh, those
1: things. Those old things, those old Morgans. That's what I'm looking at. Those are great. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm in the market for one, but it doesn't keep a guy from looking
0: What looking are you? I've been wondering what you are driving around in. What did you just say? What are you driving around in?
1: I'm sorry. I, 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 I was looking at pictures of Morgans and then all of a sudden an autoplay advertisement <laughs> on one of the websites started playing and it was like super loud, heavy metal. Oh, I wow. I could not hear what you said for a second there, and that, uh, that has just soured me on Morgans completely.
0: Oh, God, yeah.
1: That experience. Um, today, I'm driving my 1979 three-quarter ton uh, GMC Suburban, which is a little bit of overkill uh, in Seattle, but, but you have to be ready for anything.
0: Those are great, great, great cars. Well yeah, it's a it's it's a car
1: from a time when things were still made with um with steel and rubber bands. Yeah. It can pretty much be fixed. Well, you know, this is the funny thing. I I always I always thought of cars up to a certain point, carbureted cars, yeah, as being cars that could be fixed by anybody. But in fact, what has happened is we we've we've gone Enough time has passed since the end of the era of carburetors that all modern mechanics have been trained to work on fuel injected cars and have been trained to hook them up to computer diagnostics. And so in fact, you take a carbureted car to a to a, a young mechanic mm-hmm. and they kind of don't know how to work on them. And all the kind of all the finesse of tuning an old, you know, car with a carburetor and what they, you know, just a, a, a non-computerized car. Tuning it is, a, is like a spiritual activity. And, and the young guys, your typical average sort of working mechanic today just doesn't have those skills. So you have to go find an old, an old one and they haven't probably been working on those cars for a long time either so they're like whoa check it out right and then they have to figure they have to get their you know their safe cracking fingers back it's uh
0: are you competent working on a car with a car like a like in in the kind of we're talking about like a 79 level car like could you do an oil change on one could, of those yeah i could do an oil change but i but but
1: i have the problem I have the, um, I have the like bull in a China shop problem where I think, <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's a big truck. It's fine. You know, you just, you just torque it a little bit more and then right. I just torque the head right off the bolt. I'm always, <laughs> I'm, I'm always breaking it. or breaking things because I don't understand. Uh, because I wasn't, I wasn't actually raised in a, in a, in a shop kind of, culture. And my my biggest regret is in high school and junior high. I looked down my nose at shop because I was taking, you know, my elective class was French. Oh, wow. Because I was on a college track and mm-hmm. I was, you know, and 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 somehow somehow all the way through my high school years, we were still living in this culture of like this colonial mentality, where the where I, I I wanted to be one of the ruling class, so I took French yeah. and honors <laughs> and meanwhile, <laughs> the people that were taking shop were right. like grease monkeys and ki- poor kids who lived in trailer parks and now and actually, Pretty soon after I graduated from high school, I realized, um, and it's not to say that the French classes didn't help me over the years, but my God, I should have taken shop and I should have taken woodworking and I should have taken small engine repair. And those are actual skills that that would have saved my ass so many times and that I really need. And um, I don't... I, I wish I could go, there's so many reasons I wish I could go back, but one of the things I would say is like, whatever this idea that you have that college kids don't ever have to work on cars, right? and instead sit around speaking French to each other, (laughs) and that's not an idea that, I mean, that's an idea that was planted in my brain by all the adults, right? Right. Just a lie, just a straight up lie.
0: Oh, Yeah. Did you take French? No, I never took French. I I took Spanish for the minimum, you know, that I had to do to to graduate. But I in high school, there were two. There were three shop classes. There was wood shop, right? Where you which, made pen, pencil holders. <laughs> right, pencil holders, and I think f- picture frames. Uh huh. And uh-huh. there was metal shop, right. where you got to use an arc welder. And you got to make a candle holder. Candle holder, right. And then there was auto shop where the guys would bring in their cars and they you would just work on them. Whatever needed to be done on the car, you would just go in and and work on the cars. Right. And I really, really was into, I mean, I think I mentioned before on on this show, but I loved taking things apart, trying to put them back together. So I wanted to be in auto shop, but... There was kind of a crew in the auto shop in the school that that you kind of needed to get into it somehow. I think I think mm-hmm. everyone in there had like an older brother who had been in the auto shop and and brought their younger brother into it. And as a result of that, like you couldn't you couldn't just get into it. You couldn't. Oh, get really?
1: Into it, it was like a guild or a, it was a <laughs> clique of some kind. <laughs> yes,
0: mm-hmm. and I was not anywhere remotely cool enough to be. In in, shop, in in the auto shop class. Like, that just wasn't, like, you couldn't just walk in. Yeah. Uh, so I was I went into, and of course, I didn't want to do wood shop because, I mean, who wants to do wood shop? I wanted to do, now I want to do wood shop. <laughs> but in high school, it was, seemed really dumb. I wanted to, I said, okay, like, metal, that seems good. So I, I got into, I took metal shop. Oh, you did take metal shop. I totally took metal shop, and I wanted to be in auto shop the whole time. Did you make a candle holder? I made a candle holder. Yeah. And uh, I remember vividly working with the arc welders and acetylene torches. Yeah. Acetylene. and Acetyl- Yeah. And I remember making this thing. And the process of doing it was strange. You had like a uh, – you, you would have to like learn all these different tools. and like They tried to find a way to make you use like every tool in the shop. So like – Of course. There's no justifiable reason that you would need to use a lathe to make a candle holder, but they found a reason for you to use a lathe, you know?
1: Yeah. You put it on the lathe, you know, spin it around, see if, see if it holds up. I, 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 when I think, when I think back to the, uh, to the early eighties, I think, I think of it in terms of, uh, as as I think of a lot of things, I think of it in terms of glasses frames. And uh, everything comes
0: back to this.
1: Yeah. And at the time, there was a cultural divide between metal glasses frames and plastic glasses frames. <laughs> yes, what did they mean? Well, you know, if you were wearing metal glasses, you were sort of on an engineering track in uh-huh. life, right?
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And so all the guys down in metal shop and, and auto shop, if they wore glasses, they definitely wore metal framed glasses and kind of square, <laughs> larger sized metal frame glasses right and i was up in the upper campus wearing some tortoise shell plastic frame glasses, oh wow which were in the early 80s kind of a new that was a that was a new evolution right <laughs> the plastic frame glasses were big in the 60s and then they kind of went out <laughs> and then we were bringing them back big round tortoise shell glasses and it was very much a it, it, it communicated a class golf oh yeah now you, you hardly ever see anyone in a in metal frame glasses because of the because it's uh, it's plastic frame glasses all the way but even yep. a few years ago there were still people wearing those little little tiny little sprockets <laughs> uh, metal frame glasses
0: like the John Lennon style glasses but not red mm,
1: to think what that sentence that you just said is very difficult for me to parse because a I do not remember him ever wearing red glasses <laughs> And so I don't know what you mean. And B, <laughs> no, um, not like his. Okay, I, I, I could tell you every single pair of John Lennon's glasses. Okay, from the first pair he ever got to the pair he was wearing the day wearing the day he died. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And um, and I'm so I'm trying to imagine. I mean, there was that pair he wore in the when he's standing in front of the Statue of Liberty and holding up his peace sign. Maybe had a little bit of a red tint, although I don't think so. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but I've always felt like, because my first glasses I bought in 82. Uh Uh-huh. And at that point, there were very few, I wanted wanted my glasses to be a particular kind of thing, to be a, a certain, to communicate a certain thing. And there were very few frames available at that time to communicate what I hoped to communicate. Right. But if you wanted to communicate that you were an engineer, that you were, let's say that you were an aeronautical engineer mm-hmm. who also liked to read Playboy, <laughs> you had 40 different play- pairs of glasses you could
0: pick. Wow. So I didn't like wearing glasses. I tried to avoid wearing glasses, even though I desperately needed to be wearing them. I didn't want to. I kind of, Rejected it until one time Heather told me that she thought I looked good in glasses, hmm. and from then on the door was open. I'm like, fine. I'm wearing now. I'm wearing them all all the time. So did you
1: fall for the kind of like the the uh, Fonzie uh, <laughs> the logic where <laughs> glasses were uncool for nerds?
0: Yeah, and and I, I think it's because I was so clearly a nerd already. It wasn't like I was trying to not be one in a way that was conscious, but I, I was anything that would clearly set you apart as being a nerd. I figured like I already had so much going for me in the nerd direction that I didn't need to, I didn't need to push any harder yeah, to get there. You know what I mean? And as, so I was, I mean, I think it was probably around 17 when she told me that. And I was like, okay, well if, if Heather thinks that I look good and in, in glasses, then I'll, I'll wear them but I was very much opposed to it. I also don't think that I liked the fact that I did need the glasses. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want, uh, I didn't, didn't want, want the weakness. Yes. And I, I finally, when I caved in, of course, I, everything was much clearer and better and I never looked back, but I mean, I had, I think I got my first pair of glasses when I was 11. Cause it really? was, yeah, it was one of those sitting in the classroom and like, boy, everything's a little bit fuzzy up on the blackboard. And so they took me to get, a pair of glasses and they figured out, yeah, he must need them because essentially every male in my family going back to Israel times has worn glasses. So I, why why can't Danny read? Yeah. So I finally just really, you know, at 17 I gave in and, and I, I'm trying to remember, but I know that most of the kinds of glasses that I had were the engineering track glasses that you are describing. And, but I mean I like that wasn't what I wanted. I mean I was you're talking I mean I would sit there and like create my own dungeon modules. You know, Dungeons and Dragons modules and like draw out the maps and and write descriptions of each room and
1: Were you clarifying that for my benefit or for our listeners? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure our <laughs> listeners got it okay. and I want you to know that I got it.
0: All right. Without the clarification. I will omit the clarification. <laughs> no, I was and I mean I was I was there and like hardcore into that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But did you have a, did you have a
1: digital watch where you could play a game? Yes. Did did your digital watch have a, have a game component? It had had Pac-Man. Did it have Pac? Oh, Pac-Man. Yeah. Oh, wow. So (laughs) this was a little bit later. I mean, I'm thinking of the original, the first game I ever saw on a digital watch was a kind of like, um, Uh, like a Coleco uh, football game. You remember the, yes, the little you're just basically moving a cursor and there are other cursors that you're, that you're trying to get around.
0: Yes. I vividly remember the Coleco uh, football game and I, I never had one, but every single guy that I knew, every kid had one of these things. So you're talking about the things that were sort of, they had a football one and they had a basketball one. Yeah. And the, uh, the football one was like, I think it was, you know what? I'm looking it up right now. There it is. This is it. It's called the electronic quarterback. Yeah, that's right. And it had the up-down arrows, and then it had the one arrow for the right-left, and then it had the KP button in red.
1: Oh. But but the first time I saw one of those
0: on a watch
1: <laughs> was 82, okay. 81, 82. And it was truly, and we were definitely sitting around at lunch table working, hand-drawing modules uh-huh. <laughs> and uh and maybe even playing go oh man uh, that's how wow. that's how nerdy we were and a kid walked up and was like check it out and he had a watch <laughs> that had a maybe a calculator function but also this uh this football game on it and it was like hold the phone really right? We have just crossed a threshold into the future capital T capital F. (laughs) We are there now. And it seemed like all all the world, I mean, there was just so, so much possibility. We were so pregnant with possibility. Yeah, Um, I think if I had that watch now, I would, it would still be interesting to me. So we haven't really advanced Mm -hmm. very far, right? That's, that's 30 years ago, more than more than 30 years ago. And, um, I would still probably play uh, that football game on a digital watch. Oh, yeah. Because that's pretty much what I do. (laughs) Uh, There's uh, there's at least four hours a day where I am playing Sudoku on my phone, (laughs) which might as well be,
0: uh, uh, you know, uh, armchair quarterback. Right. I love these old devices, though. And there's one the one game that I remember the most vividly from my childhood— there was a Donkey Kong handheld LCD game, mm-hmm. and it was. I remember it. The, I remember it. The
1: orange one. Oh my god! You're giving me some kind of strange. I don't know whether this is a sex feeling I'm having, or whether this is a. <laughs> I don't know what I. I have not thought about that LCD Donkey Kong in since
0: the, Since then, I'd completely forgotten that those existed. They were amazing. Amazing. Truly amazing. The most amazing thing ever. It had two screens. I'll put pictures of this into our show notes for the two listeners. Two screens. 5 by 5tv slash road Clam show. Yes. And there was a little um, the little D-pad on the left and the jump button on the right. And oh. you would, you could, you, it was essentially a, uh, like, you know, it was as much like Donkey Kong as they could make it, but it was way more fun than the arcade.
1: It was fantastic. It's well, the how best did how did I ever let that slip through my fingers? I
0: know, I had one and too.
1: I the thing is, it's not, it's not the type of thing that I would have had myself. I'm, I'm, I'm having this memory that it was my sister's or something. I mean, I, it was close enough to me that I was able to play it all the time, uh-huh. but not so <laughs> close that, I, that it belonged to me or that I could, you know, that I had any ultimate authority over it. Oh, right? wow. And I don't know whether it was a good friend's or whether it was my sister's. I don't know. I don't know because that's not the type of thing that I, you know. There was when you're a kid, the things that you have are kind of of a of a sort, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you had if you had all the D and D stuff, of course, you probably weren't also going to um, have a bunch of. Sports cards, but maybe right. I mean, I knew a lot. I had knew a lot of kids that had sports cards. Um, but I was never, I was never going to have a sports card, right? Maybe I would go to a, maybe I would go to a a a birthday party and somebody would give me some sports cards as like, hey, everybody gets a present, and I would get sports cards and be like, what is? Why would this is
0: this is a false present? Uh, I I know exactly what you mean. I had Star Wars cards, but I never had I never had a single, unless it you know unless it was like a, something I might have bought because like I wanted gum and the only kind of gum that they might have had was with the cards. You know how sports the card, cards gum? Yeah, yep. Yep. I never intentionally went and got a baseball card or anything like that. Star Wars cards, totally. And I remember there was a time where the Star Wars cards came with the Wonder Bread. Am I imagining that wrong? Star Wars cards came with the Wonder Bread. Well,
1: let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, Dan Benjamin. (laughs) My mother would not allow us to have Wonder Bread. Not because she was a hippie and felt like Wonder Bread was unhealthy. Because that was a thought technology that came in later. My mother would not allow us to have Wonder Bread because it was too expensive. Oh, man. It was a frivolous, she thought it was like frivolous marshmallow bread (laughs) that uh, was a a, a terrible waste of money. And she bought brown bread on the the two-day-old rack, the yesterday's bread rack. Right. Because it was just fine. So Wonder Bread was a, was a kind of, it was a, it, was a, it was a sort of food that hovered up here <laughs> above me, a food I had no access to unless I could entreat some kid at school to
0: trade half a sandwich with me. See, I feel like there's something, you know, last week there was no Fluffernutters, this week there's no Wonder Bread. Mm-hmm. I feel like the sa- you weren't eating a lot of sandwiches really. Oh, I was eating a lot of sandwiches. Oh, were you?
1: Yeah, but here's here's what my sandwich was. Two-day-old bread and then honey, which was cheap. Yeah. And if you put, as you know, if you put honey on two-day-old bread with peanut butter and put it in a Ziploc bag, by the time it's lunchtime, the honey will have completely soaked in and kind of crystallized within the bread, Uh turning the bread into into a third element. Neither bread nor honey, but a kind of crystal crystal bread. Wet crystal bread. Sweet, wet crystal bread that is glued to peanut butter bread. Mm-hmm. All a little stale, but also wet from having been it's in a plastic bag all day. You're telling me it was terrible. <laughs> and then I'd sit down next to my friend whose mother... You know, whose mother didn't work, let's be honest. And that morning, she would have made him a roast beef sandwich with lettuce and tomato and mayonnaise.
0: (sighs) The worst.
1: Put it into a, and wrapped it in uh, wax paper (laughs) and put it in his lunchbox. And then he had this other thing. And and I had the, I had this, this sort of little, um, what would you call it? Like it almost, it, it almost took on the character of a glass brick, right? The kind of <laughs> glass bricks that you would use to build a bathroom in a in a Miami Vice yes, style. no, home. I know
0: exactly what you mean.
1: It was a glass brick, except it was sweet flavored, and it was meant to be my lunch. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. So if if I could ever if I could ever get a kid to trade sandwiches with me, that kid would never trade sandwiches with me again. <laughs> It was always a one-shot deal, so I had to make it. I had to really make it effective. If I was going to trade a sandwich with somebody, it had to be it. I either had to have reached my threshold of these peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> where I just could not do it, yeah. And then I was gonna, I was gonna blow one. I was gonna, I was just gonna burn, burn one for the team here just to get a to try a sandwich, somebody else's sandwich. I remember there was a bu- there was a beautiful. Rich girl in my elementary school who traded sandwiches with me one time, and she had so much sympathy for me after that. Like, you know, she really treated me like better because she understood that I was poor, and and not only that, I I was poor. I was so poor that my mother had to work, and so she she took pity on me. It was
0: it actually worked worked to my advantage in that yeah. instance, yeah. man. <sighs> Those sandwiches, I'll tell you what, I think I had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the Wonder Bread with jam. I wasn't a big jelly fan, but I think I had the same sandwich at least five days a week, if not also on the weekends, for my entire grade school and junior high. I never— Weren't you like going out into the
1: street and getting Philly cheesesteaks or something? No, no,
0: no, 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 never, never. I mean, I was sent to school with the, with the lunchbox Mm -hmm. and I ate, you know, for a while Star Wars. I think at one point I probably had a Mork and Mindy lunchbox. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, I, I I had probably, oh, I know I had a Battlestar Galactica one and I, I ate what, what I got in. In the lunchbox. And I remember being in like junior high and high school. And by then, like everyone was buying lunch except me. I still was rolling in with a brown bag, you know, Mm. and I was very and I, I just it was astounding to me because like lunches were not expensive. But I mean, they weren't free either. They were several dollars. And I was just always so like envious of these kids that could go in, like they were eating hamburgers and fries and Oh, hamburgers and fries pizza, the square, the square pizza, you know, the, the slices of pizza where it comes out, it's in a big tray and, and they would just cut it up. And I like I want, I wanted that. I'm, I was probably so much better off for not eating it, but I wanted that.
1: I, uh, I was thinking about lunch boxes the other day. I, you know, there's a, there's a, there's for a long time there's been a collector collector market oh yeah of seventies uh, lunchboxes and I've always struggled with my memory particularly around lunchboxes because I didn't have that many lunchboxes right I mean in the course of the <laughs> of the seventies yeah because I was. I I am of the age that was absolute prime lunchbox era. Yes, the sweet spot <laughs> for lunchboxes. Um, like a Battlestar Galactica lunchbox, I never would have touched with my hands because by the time Battlestar Galactica came out, I was too old. Oh yeah. So all the all the lunchboxes that you look at where it's like Dukes of Hazard lunchbox, <laughs> like come on, that is past the prime. Yeah. Right the prime lunchbox era is I like to think, you know, 76, 75 through 77. Okay. And, uh, but it, during that time, how many lunchboxes could I possibly have had
0: three? Maybe. <laughs> right.
1: right. Why new, we, do
0: you need a new one? Were you destroying them or? Well, no,
1: of course not, they, were made out of, they were made out of metal and we were not, I was not allowed to be trendy. Um, so I had a, I probably had three or four lunchboxes, but I sat at the lunch table and looked at everyone else's
0: lunchbox. Mm.
1: And so there are a great number of lunchboxes that are very familiar to me. And I'll go to these flea markets or I'll look look at the lunchbox displays at uh, theme restaurants Mm -hmm. or whoever it is that's collecting these things. You see them all the time. And I'll be like, I remember that. Like, I remember the Star Wars one. I remember the uh, you know, the Fantasy Island one. But of course that wasn't one, right? The heart-to-heart one. No, there was not a heart-to-heart lunchbox. <laughs> there might have been. But like I remember, I remember so many lunchboxes, and I'm teased or I'm tricked by my own memory into thinking, like, did I have that one, like I don't, I can't remember exactly which ones were mine and which ones were my friends, but there, but there are probably 50 lunchboxes out there that I have, a, that I feel like a, a pretty strong connection to. Yeah. Because I remember them, you know, being important at the time. But suffice to say, I've never been able to really, really. I think I might have had a Casper the Ghost lunchbox <laughs> or something that was not that great compared to a Star Wars one. Right, like Cas Casper the Ghost was or, not. No, but you know, my mom got it for on sale. But I, I definitely like. I there's a part of me that wants to have, wants to get one of my old lunchboxes just to like have it. But I, but but I can't separate. I can't separate the mem- the memories of my own. I need to go back and look through some photographs and see if there's a picture of me.
0: Like with a lunchbox? Like holding a lunchbox. I don't think there will be. I think I would know. But see, I have I, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I remember lots of lunchboxes. I only can definitively say that I had two that I know absolute uh, for certain that I absolutely did have the first one. And I have some pictures, which I'll put into our, our notes. One of them was the star Wars lunchbox that had the X-wing fighter being pursued by a tie fighter, which is shooting at it. And the, uh, the laser beams are passing just right over the top.
1: Oh, oh, tantalizing.
0: Yes. That, that tie fighter pilot must be so mad. Oh man. He came so close. (laughs) And then inside it had a, a thermos, With a yellow lid, the blue, thermos was blue, a yellow lid, and it had in the front of it a drawing of C-3PO and R2-D2 that said Star Wars, and I have found this online, and it it is real, and it does exist, and I I don't, I'm not proud of my, the second lunchbox that I remember as vividly as I do, but it was a Muppet Show lunchbox. Oh, come on, that's a pretty good lunchbox. I feel like I had, I, I, and and, uh, it was, I'm not... I feel like I had passed the point where it was okay for me to have a oh. a, a Muppet mm-hmm. lunchbox, but I right. remember vividly that the lunchbox was sort of a yellow plastic instead of a a, a metal. A
1: right out of the uh, as they transitioned away from the era of pressed tin lunchboxes.
0: Right, right. But I can't find that one anyway. Yeah,
1: you were going you were going into ninth grade and carrying your Muppet <laughs> box <lunchbox laughs> wasn't it was, quite
0: that bad. But
1: <laughs> I, as you were describing the Star Wars thermos, I remember. I, re- I, 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 I you, just, you just conjured a feeling in me, which was that feeling of being a real grown-up who had his own thermos. <laughs> like, the thermos was such a, an emblem of adulthood. Yeah. Because you carried... I mean, when was the last time I saw somebody with a thermos? <laughs> I mean, I guess it was the last time I drove through a port area mm-hmm. at 7 o'clock in the morning and watched all the longshoremen... Uh, Changing shifts or whatever. Like oh, yeah. who carries who carries a thermos anymore? But it, but it, when I was young, <laughs> it seemed like everyone had a thermos. Yeah, and uh, and I remember opening that lunchbox early days kindergarten and and having my own thermos with its own attached
0: cup and feeling like I had really I was a real grown up person now. Did you I ever have one of those the collapsible cups that would go into like it was like a little tin? And you would open it and then the, it, it had like a collapsible rings that you would pull up and then you could pour your drink into it. When you were done, collapse it down, put it back in your pocket.
1: I know I know what you're talking about. I I, I, I understand what it is, but I know I never had one and I can't imagine.
0: I don't know how you got I, by without one. I can't imagine why someone would give one of those to a child. <laughs> well, they gave me a plastic one and I had it. I had it. And I loved this thing. I, any excuse I had to drink out of this thing like on the go i'd go to a like a water fountain i'd go well i got my cup with me (laughs) fill up the
1: cup i was very susceptible to that type of thing (laughs) uh to to the idea that now that i had a tool right i was gonna you know uh, now that i had a hammer every problem looked like a nail right but 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 more fun right like now that i have a cup i'm really thirsty (laughs) um but I never had a collapsible cup, and even still to this day, I have not. I don't, I don't have a collapsible cup. It seems like the type of thing I would carry on my utility belt, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, along with my Leatherman and my, and my Maglite. <laughs> right. Uh, multi-tool. A, a multi-tool uh-huh. and, a, and, some, and <laughs> a, a, a big wooden spoon and a collapsible cup. Right. It should. It should. When people are cosplaying, (laughs) uh, that I I imagine that's what they think I wear around. But in fact, no, no, you could pull it off. I wonder. I wonder. I think that there's a lot of there's a tendency uh, among people of a certain kind where you think, where you think, yeah, I can pull it off, but. But at the end of the day, I have to look at my, I have to look myself in the mirror and it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot different walking out of the house. I mean, this is the struggle that I have with vests. I, because I have a long torso. Yes. I have a long torso, a very long torso. All of my height is in my torso. My legs are just normal sized legs. Okay. But my torso is like, is extended. And so it's very hard for me to wear vests because vests typically are short. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, they're meant to be a little short, but on me, they are ludicrously short, uh. right? I look like, uh, like there's eight inches of shirt between the bottom of the vest and the top of the pants. <laughs> and so it's hard for me to wear vests, but I like vests. Mm-hmm. Like I approve of the concept of vests. And in the last... Five years, vests have become very popular with the Mumford and Sons set. Yes, yes. Communicating a sort of old timiness. And like it might, might have I, a
0: pocket watch in there.
1: Might have, that's right. Uh, w- vests are a very, uh, vests trending into waistcoats, waistcoats, um, or I guess waistcoats, <laughs> um, are a, uh, th- those are a thing that, you know, uh, when, it, when, when you see them combined with too many other things, a pocket watch, a a, a handlebar mustache, a, a a trilby hat, Mm -hmm. or some sort of retro, uh, cordovan red wing boots, too too many of those things all together, suspenders, and you're, and you're into trouble, but, but a vest itself is a, is a delightful. I, there's something about them that I really like. So, When I do find a vest that is appropriately long for me, I get very excited and I wear the vest. uh, And I feel like now I can, now I can join in the world of, now I can, now I can rock a vest. You know, it's a thing that I, that I picture myself doing. But then once I'm in the vest and I'm walking around and I catch a glimpse of myself in a shop window.
0: Yeah. Like and I go,
1: oh oh Jesus, you're a guy
0: in a vest. Like, do you wear what do you wear with the vest? Well, what do you mean? Like, are you wearing jeans? Are you wearing slacks? Do you have a tie, a bow tie. How are you doing it? Well, now let's talk about the word slacks first of all. Okay,
1: trousers. I do not think and I'm not. I'm unclear on the concept, but I do not think I own a single pair of slacks.
0: What What do you? Okay, if it's not made out of denim, right? It's made out of cotton or something like that. Polyester, perhaps. It is not made of polyester. No. What what do you call those? Pants? Well, I have
1: I have so I have cotton pants. Yeah, cotton pants. Which typically are either khaki colored, which I would call khakis. Yeah. Or other colored, which I would call what would I call those? I would call those
0: pants. Just yeah. pants,
1: yeah. Pants.
0: Are they pleated then, or flat front? Oh, they are not pleated. I'm, I've got to ask.
1: Pleated. <laughs> <clears throat> they are not pleated because I do not have a lot of stuff that I want to carry <laughs> inside the front of my pants. <laughs> That's not an area where I'm carrying like a bag of flour or <laughs> or like syrup or... <laughs> That's not an area that, it, you know... All right that I think of as, as an area that I want to have it, it'd be expandable. Um, and then wool, I slacks. I would, no, no, I, in the night, in the 1980s and by 1980s, I mean very early eighties, 79, 80. I think someone bought me a pair of slacks <laughs> and I wore them and I had a bad experience with them. And I, I from that moment on, I said, never again will I wear a slack. So I have, yeah, I would I would wear pants or trousers. Uh, right now, I'm wearing a kind of twill pants. Okay, a twill pants and a uh, a linen shirt and a vest, a herringbone vest that was made by a t- a t- tailor from Chile. Oh wow! And I, and I know that only because when I found the vest, I was like, <clears throat> "What is this?" What, what kind of brand is this? This seems like a handmade thing. And then I Googled it and I found this guy in Chile who had made some, who worked in the Chilean film industry as a costume <laughs> d- designer. And then he branched off and like, I guess made a few of his own garments for sale. And somehow two of them Two of these Chilean vests which are my size. I and mean, you know, I don't normally think of Chilean actors as being my size. Right. But here are these two enormous Chilean vests, which maybe were made as dresses. I don't I don't know, but they fit me perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Two of them show up at a Goodwill in Seattle for 99 cents each. And I bought them. I was so pleased. And now I'm wearing them every day. And I'm like, I'm I'm wearing a vest. And maybe people think that I should be, maybe people imagine that I also have a utility belt on, but I don't, but I am, I am confident enough right now in this vest that when I catch that reflection and that voice says, Jesus Christ, man, you're wearing a goddamn vest. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, a, enough of a response to that voice where the other voices say, that's right. I'm wearing a goddamn vest. I, uh, you know what? I'm a full grown man. And if I'm going to be a vest guy, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to be proud of it. Wearing my Chilean herringbone vest out in the world.
0: I remember the first time that I wore a pair of mirrored sunglasses. I think it was the same kind of experience.
1: Dan, just as you say that, I realize I never want to see you in anything but mirrored sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) because they are perfect on you. I've never seen seen you wear a pair of mirrored sunglasses, (laughs) but they are perfect on you.
0: I know. I, I was very. I thought it was a good a good look. I got them it, at Eckert's. It's
1: um, it's amazing, and I don't know why. Listen, <laughs> that you are not a guy that's full of affectation in your in your presentation, your style, okay. But if you always wore mirrored sunglasses, kind of like Carl Lagerfeld always wears, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that combination of like vampire clothes, right? Uh, that he uh, with the with the tall collars and the long sleeves
0: yeah if and the, you the just, chain the silver chain over the black tie
1: yeah if you were just a guy that just dressed like a normal guy a normal texan guy yeah in whatever combination of dockers and and kirkland brand shirts <laughs> no. it is that people in texas <laughs> no <wear>. no <laughs> but just wore mirrored sunglasses all the time yeah
0: oh damn that would be that. That's an incredible brand. I, you know, I feel like I do need this help. I feel like I'm, like I feel like you know, my clothes are are within the realm of what you would say current style. But I don't, like you say, I don't have any sort of affectations, if you will, One like I don't. sort of
1: singular. Like Merlin has his hair, or at least he
0: did. He did. Yeah, right? gone Merlin's
1: now. hair had its own website. <laughs> Everybody, you know, and I have like my small bag or whatever it is. That sense that that uh, it's it's the one thing. Jonathan Colton has that one shirt that he wears uh, whenever it's a special occasion. Yeah, anytime Jonathan Colton has a special occasion, you can be guaranteed he's going to be wearing that one particular shirt. And Hodgman is just a Hodgman is like a is like a ten layer cake of affectation. He's got the mustache. He's got the. Hitler hair. He's got, you know, the sunglasses and the. He's got the pipe, even though I know he doesn't use a pipe. But I just think of him as having a pipe, sort of like John Flansburgh used
0: to. Oh yeah, in the the early days of the Giants, he always
1: had that pipe. (laughs) The fucking pipe he had. (laughs) But you need an affectation. I I really do. Mirrored sunglasses because it brings out the cop in you. Oh really? It brings out the sort of chips. Eric, the Eric Estrada
0: in you. Oh man,
1: I feel like there's a there's a there's a dormant
0: Eric Estrada in you, just waiting to like sex it up. Oh man, I think you were right. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to pick some up at a drugstore or something and try them out. I need. This is the weird thing, though. I need if I'm gonna wear them all the time. I need have the to, prescription. Yeah, but you know, it seems doable.
1: I have, do you know how many pairs of prescription sunglasses I have? How many? I have like 11 pairs
0: of prescription sunglasses.
1: It's one of the great ways to spend money. Like, I don't spend money, I buy all my clothes in thrift stores,
0: I don't drink or smoke, you know. See, I I, would think that you would be a relatively heavy smoker if I just had to guess. I smoked for a long time. Did you? Because it goes with the sort of rocker lifestyle that we understand you you have maintained.
1: I, I smoked, and I smoked vividly. <laughs> I smoked with alacrity. <laughs> I smoked, and I loved to smoke. Yeah. I smoked uh, at all kinds of things, and I smoked uh, with so much savoir-faire. Oh, I can only imagine. And then, and I was addicted to tobacco, oh who isn't i have multiple levels because i also chewed tobacco for a long time which may surprise some listeners and uh and then i got uh, you know like every guy trending into middle age i was like maybe i'll smoke cigars i mean i never smoked uh, I, that's not true i did smoke a pipe for a while in denmark <laughs> of course that's where I, you go i Just bought a pipe smoke a pipe in denmark and i I spent several months smoking a pipe but it was but it that was a uh, that was an affectation that I could not maintain because it's a lot it's a fucking lot of work it to is a, a lot of work and um and to carry a pipe around and to be the guy with a pipe I just I couldn't I couldn't hold I couldn't hold up all the the weight of it.
0: Well, there's a lot of accoutrements that go with it. You've got a whole lot of things to just like smoking a pipe. Isn't as simple as having a lighter and having a pipe. There's a lot of work right. to, to do it and keep it going. And it's better if you're sort of fishing while it's going on. Yes. You right. know what I mean? Like there's I,
1: a lot of work. It is. It's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a thing to calm busy hands. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I much preferred to sit and, um,
0: did, were you a cigarette smoker? I've smoked probably all any, any, never like a hookah, but all of the things you would consider mainstream tobacco stuff, whether it's cigarettes or pipes, cigars, I've, I've tried all of that stuff and every single person in my entire family going back to the dawn of time also smoked stuff and yeah. they'd be sitting there and, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes And, uh, and, and saying, you know, don't do this, you know, don't do what I do. Yeah.
1: They'd be ashing their cigarette in your face and saying, don't smoke cigarettes.
0: Yeah. And we'd be driving around in the middle of winter in the Dodge Dart that apparently you and I have both shared Mm and, uh, and you know, windows up, my mom smoking in there as we're driving (sighs) around, you know, and like, that was just like, that was was her brand. Uh, she and my dad, I think both were Marlboro Reds before there was another kind of Marlboro Um, just Marlboro's and, uh, my grandfather, I guess to slow his habit of 55 years down, eventually switched to a pipe and the pipe was like the most amazing thing in the world because it smelled wonderful. I mean, it was just, I loved being in the room when he was smoking his pipe because it was just the best. And I loved the smell of the tobacco in the, you know, in, in the little pouch that he would have and all of this. And and I had this one toy that I must have gotten it at the Philadelphia zoo or something. And it was this plastic lion and it had a, a lever on its back that when you would press down the lever, it would work against a spring and open the mouth of the lion. And he had the idea one time made the mistake of, of blowing smoke into the lion and then opening the little door and the smoke sort of rolled out. I, I, he, I was like, you got to do it again. You got to do it again. And so, I, I think I kept him smoking the pipe a lot because Just I had to, to fill s- your little lion with smoke. Yes.
1: My mom dated a guy who um, smoked a pipe, and uh, I went through a phase where I spent a lot of time in magic shops. This is again the 1970s when a there were magic shops, right? Like if you if you if you went to downtown Seattle and walked down first avenue it was like sailor's bar sailors bar sailor's bar strip club magic shop sailor's bar uh like uh military surplus store strip club magic shop right like, i don't i don't know what was so what was so magical about that time, but it was really one of the, one of the few things that you could find in, in downtown. Mm -hmm. And I loved them. I loved magic shops, but I didn't have the patience to become a magician. I couldn't sit and practice the thing over and over again to even learn the most rudimentary card trick. And so what I ended up, I ended up being one of those kids that was hanging out at the magic shop, but really all I was ever going to amount to was practical joker. So I would buy the whoopee cushion and the fake vomit and the,
0: the little gum that would snap your finger when you pull the, out the
1: snapping <laughs> finger gum and the, and the can of peanut brittle that had a snake in it. And, yeah. it,
0: and then the good stuff,
1: all the good stuff. But then after, and after that stuff had played out, I turned to the dark side of practical joking which was (laughs) itching powder. Oh. Which is basically a can of fiberglass. And I... I Really? I opened a can of itching powder on the school bus one time, and somehow it got away from me. Oh, no. And this can of itching powder went everywhere. Oh, my God. And an entire school bus full of kids had to go home oh no because they all we, we got to the school the kids all piled out and immediately you know the itching powder had gone everywhere and it was like ha 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 and it was like oh it itches he he, he. and then we all got out <laughs> and went to our respective classes and then like 60 kids were in total torment
0: oh man
1: and all went to the nurse's office at once all had to go home and it was my fault and I was in big trouble for turning that itching powder loose on the bus, and I think probably they yelled at my mom, "Why would you even give this child access to itching powder yeah, and she had no idea because you know you, the kid wants to go to the magic shop like right your number one concern in sending your your eight year old to the magic shop is that it's that the magicians are pedophiles uh, <laughs> You know that they're these weird, these weird old men uh, in ill fitting tuxedos. You don't think that they're going to also supply this kid with weaponized fiberglass? But then, the, then the, the then the next step was cigarette loads. Oh,
0: it, it, these are the things that would like you'd put them in the end of a regular cigarette, and would they explode? Or? They would explode. Oh man, and like it, real explosion or oh, like on real TV?
1: explosions, real explosions, and it was it really dovetailed. It was the perfect. It was the perfect axis of practical joking, masquerading as magic, and explosions. Man. both, both I mean, I loved explosions, and I, and I loved playing tricks. And cigarette loads were this genius thing They're these tiny little things. And I, I still carried, you're going to laugh, or maybe not, but I still carried a package of cigarette loads in my wallet... Into my late thirties. Are you kidding me? No, because the thing, the thing about them is that you, you don't, you never, <laughs> you never tell anybody you have them and you just <laughs> wait, you just wait, you just wait. And then invariably there will be a moment, everybody's sitting around a bar, you're, <laughs> you're, you know, you're somewhere in Austria and your bandmates are there and they're all chatting up the girls and it's after the show and it's late at night and you're in some some beer stube and then one of your close buddies leaves his cigarettes on the table and goes to the bathroom oh man he never sees it coming and you immediately like you don't you don't make a show of it you just take a cigarette out of the cigarette pack and nobody notices Mm -hmm. everybody's sharing cigarettes and you just very subtly under the table it's a Pretty, it's a pretty involved process of getting a cigarette load into a cigarette and make the cigarette look like it hasn't been tampered with. Right. You do that, and then you just slip it back into the pack. And then you wait. And sometimes... It could be days, even. Sometimes it's days. It's days later. But no one ever sees it coming. And when their cigarette explodes, I mean, there's really nothing better. Is there's, it? Is it? Very, nothing better in life. <laughs> is it loud? Is it? It is loud. It's loud, and the entire end of the cigarette explodes, <laughs> and no one. It's not a. It's not a thing that anyone can be prepared for, uh-huh. and and it's just. Um, and the thing is, you put this. You don't put it right at the tip of the cigarette. You put. It, you bury it in there, so that they. So they light the cigarette. They have two or three leisurely puffs on it, and then. And, it, and 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 the genius of it is that it's usually when you're taking a big puff that the that the cherry <laughs> lights up, and so it, it almost always explodes, right? Right when you would when you would most want it to. Anyway, I stopped carrying cigarette loads
0: <laughs> a few years ago when I. Stopped. Or are you just telling me that, just in case?
1: No, because I stopped smoking, and when you're when you know when when. I stopped smoking and a lot of my friends stopped smoking all sort of about the same time. So I, so it didn't, I, I remember, I remember taking the last little package of cigarette loads out of my wallet and it had been three years since I'd last pulled that prank on somebody. And I was like, you know what? I think that, I think it's just time to send these down the road. But what got me off on that was that I one time put a cigarette load in my mom's boyfriend's pipe. Whoa. Probably 1977. (laughs) And his pipe exploded, and it all went, you know, because the pipe is a perfect little mortar, (laughs) right? The entire contents (laughs) of his pipe bowl shot flaming (laughs) like (laughs) comets just,
0: oh my gosh,
1: all over the room. It was, it was completely fantastic. But I was, but he beat me, and I was in so much trouble for so. I was in trouble for so long.
0: I was going to and- say, didn't uh, did? not were not you afraid uh, of getting beaten for something like that? Like the fear for me always kept me in line. And the the reality of it was, I could have gotten away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, and you know, I was my mom was a single mom, so I was you know pretty much just she was my parent for. Most of my life. And she never would have beat me really for anything. I mean, I would have, you know, gotten there, there's nothing quite as, uh, as troubling as, you know, Jewish mom guilt, but being beaten's up there. I would imagine um, maybe, maybe it's a lot worse, but I, that the feeling of the guilt was enough to kind of keep me in line. And I did, I did, I walked a pretty straight mine because of of that you know yeah Yeah, well you know i also had a single mom for the most part
1: when i was young and no one ever i mean she yeah she spanked me and i think she spanked me with a belt a couple of times and decided it was too much trouble (laughs) um but no one ever i mean nobody ever backhanded me in my family i never got beat like like you like uh like family beats. Right. <laughs> but I got my ass kicked all the time by other kids. And it just, um, I could not help myself. Because I was also motivated by a very complex stew of guilt and fear yeah. and shame. But, But there was something about But there was also thrill seeking, and there was nothing more thrilling than fucking with somebody, (laughs) right? Because of the because all of the danger that went along with fucking with somebody, and the primary danger being that they were going to kick your ass. Um, But but then, you know, all the social danger of like if you fuck with people too long, too much, you will be you will be excluded, or you'll be banished or or vilified or reviled Mm -hmm. and uh i was always treading that line i always i I always walked very close to the edge of being outcast but somehow never never all the way never all the way to to like genuinely hated i mean i was hated by some people but i always i always just considered them like the weak, the weaker's. If you, if if you, if you really hated me, it just meant that you couldn't hang. Um, but I was, a t- I was, I was probably genuinely terrible. I mean, I when I think back, you know, a real Dennis the Menace, yeah, kind of critter. Where it was just like like a tr- like a-, a troublemaker, a trouble a troublemaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was just always stirring it up. And um and in trouble. And, you know, and my mom was not a trouble, she did not like to invite trouble or notice. Right. So I was a real I mean, that was where the guilt and shame came in. I did not want to to bring trouble down
0: on my mom mm-hmm. because I knew that it plagued her, but I couldn't help myself. See, it's interesting because, like, we can get to do our sponsor break, but I have a story to tell you of something I did that is, was truly terrible. Uh, and I'll tell you after I tell you about our sponsor. It's oh, Ca- it, Casper. I, oh, Casper. Casper. They are an online retailer of premium mattresses. Casper mattresses. Casper mattresses. And this is, this is the weird thing about the, uh, the mattress industry is that
1: oh, oh, wait a minute you you know a weird thing about the mattress I, industry I do yeah,
0: I'm I'm dying to hear it the mattress industry forces people who want to get a new mattress into paying way way too much and it's all because it's supportive of this middleman infrastructure the mattress warehouses of the world You're telling me that
1: there is a mattress yes. conspiracy Yes a global mattress conspiracy <laughs> Where prices are ridiculously inflated, and I agree that they are. Yes. To support this like unsustainable yeah. mattress middleman culture.
0: Yes. Because if you think about it, if you wanted to buy a car, you'd want to go look at the car, and you'd want to get in the car, and you'd want to probably drive around in the car. So they have to have cars available for you to try, but you can actually experience a car to a certain degree and know, are the seats comfortable? How does a cigarette lighter work? Does it have a radio? All of these basic things does and more. Yeah, you want to see all that, right? Does this car have a radio? Does it? Uh, I need to see to find out. Okay. Sure. But when go to the car dealer, when you're testing out a bed, it's it's a it's a it's a sham because you don't really get to lay on the bed the way you would really lay on a bed if it was in your house. You're like, laying you on a bed and shoes in, on. Yeah. And you're laying on the bed in a public way as if you're, you're sort of pretending. This, everyone in the store, is how I lay on my bed. And you sort of assume that almost corpse-like, I'm flat on my back. Uh, now I will turn uh, rigidly to my side.
1: Oh, that's so fake. I'm hating it. Yeah, I hate Just it. Just listening to you describe it.
0: <laughs> so how,
1: <laughs> does Casper, uh, how does Casper uh, upend this, this process?
0: Well, they cut out the middleman completely.
1: Are they afraid? Are, do, are, is Casper afraid of cutting out the middleman that this conspiracy will
0: turn on it like a snake? You know, I would say they're not because they, they are, uh, they're doing a whole lot with podcasts. And I think they understand that podcasters are willing to try something. Podcast listeners especially are willing to try something new. Yeah. And so this is what you do. You try a Casper and they send it to you and then you get to try it for 100 days. We're, we need to get you one. Because i would I really want to hear your first hand experience of this, so we need to get on them to send you one. They
1: send you a mattress and you can try it out for a hundred days
0: one hundred days if you don't like it in a hundred days, you send it back. you don't pay anything, but that's, uh, that's how confident they are that you're going to like it. They wow. give you a long time to try it, and it's very affordable uh five hundred for a twin, nine fifty for a king, and of course they have uh, other sizes in between. These things are great. I did, a, I did an episode of my son and I do a little podcast where we talk about like 1980s cartoons and, and Minecraft and stuff. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we had we have a Casper mattress here that they sent us to try so we could talk about it. And he spends all of his time here on that mattress. And, uh, and he was very upset when I told him that I would not bring it home. So uh, if you want to try one out. If you're, you're telling
1: me that you have a mattress in your office.
0: We don't get to, yes, I don't get to sleep on it very often, but it's, it's here in the, it works very well also as sound insulation for podcast recording. <laughs> uh, if you would like to try one of these things, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash roadwork, where you will see a little picture of uh, John and I on the Seattle bench, and uh, you will save $50, terms and conditions apply but uh, you're going to get 50 bucks off. So thank you very much to Casper. That URL is casper.com slash roadwork. The code to get your 50 bucks off is roadwork. Thanks very much to them for supporting us doing the show.
1: I feel like our, our, I feel like our next roadwork show photo should be <laughs> you and me on a Casper oh, on mattress.
0: If they want to send a, a, a mattress to you, I think, I think they, they need to, we'll get on that. We'll make sure you get one.
1: I need a lot. I, I need a lot of mattresses.
0: What size mattress do you want?
1: Well, I, so I've never had a California King, even though I am a huge person and normal mattresses do not work for me, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, my nose is off the end of the bed (laughs) on one end and my toes are off the end of the bed on the other end. And so I can only sleep in beds at a diagonal, um, and that means that I cannot share a bed with another person you're really so, that that tall that you have to be at an angle. I have to be at an angle on a normal sized bed wow. in order to have my and 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 even then, like my arms are flopping off, oh my gosh, the edge but but if I want my toes to be on the bed and my head to be on the bed, I have to be at a diagonal and so if you know over the years. When I have wanted to have a guest uh, in my bed for some amount of time, mm-hmm. it either requires that I sleep with my feet hanging off the end, which is fine. Yeah, I'm prepared to make some sacrifices uh-huh. in order to share some some intimate <laughs> time with another person. Right, or it requires that at a certain point in the night. I go sleep on the floor.
0: Mm, That's not good for your back.
1: No. Or uh, that, that the time that I spend in a, in a, in the, in the bed zone with another person is confined to a, a certain couple of hours. Right. Like we, we come together in the bed and then, and then we go, are different directions. I'm not somebody who has spent a lot of time sharing a bed, like a sleeping bed right. with other
0: people. What if you were to curl into a fetal position? Can you sleep that way? Are no, you? I imagine I'm, you as like a back sleeper, with I'm your a
1: sprawler. Yeah. And I'm a bed destroyer too. That's the other thing. <laughs> like if you put me into a, if you put me into a hotel where the bed is real hospital corners-y, <laughs> yeah, The first thing I have to do is rip it completely apart. Really, And then make the, you know, like I'm basically like, like a cat that has to soften up his bed with his neat, you know, I knead it with my, with my paws <laughs> until it meets my, you know, it sort of meets my softness needs. Mm -hmm. But then when I wake up in a, in a, well, certainly in a hotel. Yeah. Um, you will find, particularly if I get into a bed with like eight pillows, which is sort of the new fashion in, in nice hotels or not new, but like the contemporary fashion in nice hotels is you show up and there are like 40 pillows on your bed. And some of them are like, tubular shaped some of them are like clearly like furry fuck pillows that you should get off your bed as fast as you can <laughs> never touch with your hands right. because that they've only been put to ill use yeah but if i sleep in a bed like that when i wake up in the morning there will be pillows and sheets and blankets strewn all over the room because i i basically i sleep very explosively mm. and that stuff just goes flying <laughs> And that's true in my own bed at home too. Like there's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it looks like a storm area, right? It looks like a, uh, it looks like a, a contained whirlwind happened. So anyway, I've never had a California King except in a few hotels where I've, where I've had the opportunity to sleep on a California King where I have the experience of being a child again. Mm-hmm. Where the where I am on a bed and the bed is big enough and I am completely held by the bed. So I've always been curious what it would be like to have a California king. I know that it takes up all the space in a normal sized bedroom. There's no room for yeah, furniture or <laughs> other. But 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 then you read those. You read the manuals that say your bedroom should only be for sleeping.
0: Yeah, that you don't want to spend any time in the bedroom other than, you know, they say there's one activity that's allowed, but you shouldn't be like doing a crossword puzzle there. (laughs) You shouldn't be like reading. You shouldn't, you know, eat your breakfast there while looking at the newspaper. You should definitely not be watching TV in bed. Right. They say all of these things are really, really bad for, because you're supposed to have a mental association with the room As this is where I go to sleep, basically. This is where I go to sleep. Right. Nothing else should happen in there. So I didn't.
1: When I first moved into my house, I didn't put any pictures on the walls of my bedroom. I didn't even put a mirror up. It was blank walls. Like you're sitting Shiva, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Blank walls and a bed. And I was like, this is the sleep place. And I really practiced that for a while. Because I had a big house and I had other rooms that could be disaster areas. But then when my daughter was born, I needed to create space for her to be a child. Yeah. And so I had to convert one of my disaster area rooms to a clean child space so that she could make it a disaster area of her own. And all that stuff that was in that disaster area room, I had to find a place for it. And so all of a sudden my super clean antiseptic bed place, then there were bookshelves that appeared bookshelves that were full of books and books and books and books. And now my room looks like one of those, one of those like shitty bookstores, Mm -hmm. uh, near a college campus because fully half of my books are like, um, I had a friend for a while who worked at Amazon and they were in the department that got all the, the um, galley copies of books like the, the before the, before the book was released they'd send out these review copies. Yeah. And they would give me all the review copies of books that I was interested in. So I have this uh, one entire shelf that's, all kind of monochromatic spines of all these weird books about Benjamin Franklin and and um and I do I do not find the presence of those books in my room to be restful. Right,
0: they're, right. They're all
1: they're looming over me and they're <laughs> chattering at me. And they're <laughs> you know uh and I want them haunting to haunting you. They are haunting me and a lot of them are saying things like you only read three quarters of this book about the Spanish American war and there's still a quarter left and you don't want to read it, but it's here coming yeah. throbbing. Like I don't want that stuff. I want to go back to a clean room. <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe if I had a California King, that would be the thing that would be the, that would be the, Impetus for me to take all those galley books out and put them on the street,
0: burn them in a pyre. I don't like the idea of you being haunted by the books. Don't, aren't you haunted by books? No, not really. Don't they hunt you? No. Oh. I have a lot of unfinished. I'm so used to unfinished books. that I just, I think it's just part, it's like a way of life now. It is a way of life. Is your house big? Is it like a big house? Like, are there a lot of, lots of, like, what does it look like? Is it, is it, is it really old? Is it a newer place? Is it, are there lots of, you see, because when I imagine Seattle, I imagine the, the sort of rich, dense green trees and shrubs and everything all around it. And the sort of always sort of damp, wetness in the air.
1: Well, that's the old Seattle for sure. Back when it used to rain. Yeah. Back before the water wars started. Yeah. In the, in the great climate upheaval of the early 21st century. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when food was still, was still available. Right. But, you could see the storm clouds on the horizon. (laughs) Um, My house was built in 1912, 1916. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a, it's a proper farmhouse because at the time, the, the part of the city that I live in was just recently was at the time. I mean, in 1912 was incorporated into Seattle. So it was, part of seattle but it was a distant rural quadrant mm. and so my house was built with a very like a maybe a there's a quarter size basement that was just a root cellar basically for root and like your coal bins and the whole house like all of that stuff that was built at at the first part of the century, you don't get the feeling that they expected that this house would be here in a hundred years. Yeah. They did. They were not building with that in mind. They were throwing up a house to house a family while they worked on the spaghetti farm or whatever it was they were growing. Right. And there's a barn and they used to have a little orchard and they, it was a truck farm. And I think they raised chickens and they took them, they took the baby chicks down to the Pike Place Market and sold them at the market. So it was a, you know, it was part of the like farm-to-table economy of a hundred years ago. Yeah, and then sometime before World War II, they had had that. That first family had eight kids or or ten kids, and then Grandma was living with them too. And so they built an addition that is not in the, not in the early twentieth century farmhouse style, but is in the mid twentieth century Cape Cod saltbox style. So coming off of the coming off of the old, basically not Craftsman but Craftsmany bungalow style of the farmhouse, right. is this short eaved Cape Cod style addition. Where grandma lived, it was a separate apartment, separate house. It had a bedroom and a kitchen and a bathroom and
0: living room. Oh, that's handy.
1: Well, it was until the people that owned it right before me. So I'm only the fourth owner of this house. The first two owners lived there and raised their entire families there and stayed in the house for 40 years each. And then a flight attendant... For Alaska Airlines, a male flight attendant, bought the house in 1997 from the second owner. And he ran it as a kind of flight attendant way station where his friends and his friends' (laughs) friends, because it's fairly close to the airport. Yeah. And when they had layovers or whatever, they would come and it was kind of a flight attendant crash pad. Uh Uh-huh. And so it was sort of <laughs> I think just a sex house <laughs> for about 10 years. Oh really, 10 whole yeah. years. 10 year 10 years of like Alaska Airlines flight attendant sex house. And during that time he fixed it up. By which I mean he took all of the original interior out and replaced it with what he considered to be a modern, cool, chic mm-hmm. inside, which I find awful. But the bones of the house, I think are great. And the, and, and the vibe at the house is pretty great. Cause it, cause two whole families raised their entire, you know, raised their kids to adulthood. and mom and dad grew old and like, you know grandpa died in the house, like it was a it, it has this great vibe of like loving families, and then on top of it, the cherry on top is 10 years as a flight attendant sex house fantastic, sort of you know, psychic melange. Hmm. And then, and then me, I bought it, and uh, I kind of am both raising a family there and also still. Kind of running a sex house. Yeah, right. So trying to <laughs> trying to be true to uh, the spirit of the place. <laughs> it's uh, good, but but as you know, owning a house has a lot of responsibilities. I'm constantly fighting uh, intruders. Oh, right. Ant, yeah, ants and possums, and then so they they
0: uh,
1: the woman two doors down from me, her house was foreclosed on, and she left in the middle of the night. And then some flippers bought it. Oh, yeah. She hadn't fixed up the house in a long time. She was not a rich person. And the house had really decayed kind of around her. And then one day she was gone. And uh, my next door neighbor, my immediate next door neighbor, was lamenting it. He was like, I've known her for 30 years. Mm. I'd offered to buy her house several times. I said I would, you know, I would buy it and she could keep living in it because he has this fantasy that he's gonna, he was going to buy her house and then tear his house and her house down and oh. buy a bunch of, build a bunch of condos there. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't support that plan. And also, I don't think you've read the zoning of this neighborhood very closely because you, could, you can't do that. Right. But he was super bummed because, her, because she just left in the middle of the night, didn't tell him, didn't say goodbye, and didn't sell her house to him. But the house was purchased by some flippers at auction foreclosure auction and then they came in and ripped everything out and rebuilt it well in the process of ripping everything out they disturbed what i can only imagine was a colony of rats that was living god no and then those rats had nowhere to live and they dispersed and some of them dispersed into my house oh god that's the worst into the house but into the attic and so then I was fighting rats, Ugh. which is not a thing that I want to fight.
0: No. Because you can't win. Well, yeah. So I mean, it's what I, hard to win anyway.
1: What I ended up doing and, and with the help of my eighty-one year old mother, who is truly an indomitable person, she was like, Well, all we have to do is just dig a trench around the entire house and put chicken wire down to a depth of one foot <laughs> and then <laughs> uh the rats won't be able to get in. And I was like, well, that seems like a big project. And she was like, yeah, well, I'll come out tomorrow morning at 5am and get started.
0: Oh man. And
1: so, uh, my mom, like chicken wired my foundation, not chicken wire, but like rat wire. Yeah. And then I set about using traps to catch the rats that were in the house and eventually got all the rats Man. But I was thinking at the time, like, this is homeownership. This is the glamour right. yeah. of being a, a fully grown adult. And now you're here in this attic uh, pulling this dead rat out of here.
0: Yep.
1: And it's 110 degrees. So I hate to, I hate to divulge all of this, but at some point, and I don't know how, you're going to hate this part of the conversation I'm pretty sure everybody is but at some point a rat died in the heating ducts yeah and I don't know how it died it didn't it I, I all my traps are accounted for and I didn't use poison at any time but I think because the rats scattered from
0: the house that they were reconstructing probably some of my neighbors did put poison out. Oh, right. So one of the poisoned ones came to be with its friends in your place, my
1: place and decided that the, that it was feeling bad and it wanted to crawl off somewhere. And so of course it crawled off into one of the heating ducts. Mm. So then it was 110 degrees in Seattle. And then I had a dead rat in a heating duct. (sighs) So I had to close all the heating ducts off and, there was one room in the house where I just decided I was just going to shut the door for a month and just not go in there. And so I'm waiting basically for this dead rat to mummify because there's no way to get to it. It's just in there somewhere. I can't, I can never find it. And all it's ever going to be is this, this mummy somewhere. And when the winter comes and I turn on the heat again, There's just going to always be just a slight Uh, mummified rat
0: vibe. I've got something worse. You have something worse than that? Yes. We had, uh, I think it was our second house. We had bought in a, a lovely area of central Florida called Winter Park, Florida. Very nice little area. Yep. I've been there it they're sort of the older homes that are there, the whole area kind of was built in the fifties. So most of the homes in are either these kind of amazing custom homes, a lot of which are very new multimillion dollar homes built by very wealthy people, or there's traditional 1950s ranch style homes. Yep. We were in the ranch style home and The people who had owned it before, they hadn't really done that much to it. So it was still kind of in its original state. Like it had new carpet, but like, if you know that I, and I, I think this style is supposed to be like what they would have called like an Italian style kitchen, which is Mm. sort of the the darker wood with the black metal handles on everything that are, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know what the name of that is, but you know, that style of, of house and right. it had like an in-wall oven, but not like the cool modern kind, but like the original kind. <laughs> and uh, we had, we had, you know, we were moving in, and at some point, some animal got in. Maybe it happened during the move. Maybe it happened in the time after they moved out and we moved in. But something, some animal, you some, mean like
1: a, like a turkey.
0: No, I'll tell you what it was in a minute, but I, at this point in the story, did not know what it was. Okay. And we heard something in, you know, up, up in there, in the attic or somewhere up in the roof inside that sounded like it was in the throes of a horrific death. Oh. And it sounded big, like it didn't sound like a, like we'd had rats in our previous house and we did use um traps and a poison and other stuff and and we did have them like die in the walls and terrible other things this sounded much bigger than that
1: like like almost the size of a turkey
0: yes mm-hmm. and you know i didn't know what this thing was so it it did die up there mm-hmm. and the smell was so much like you're describing it smelled <laughs> like like rotting garbage uh, not like i'm I, I have dealt with the smell of like a dead rat before like i know that smell you know it's terrible but this didn't smell like that this smelled just like pure garbage like someone had emptied an entire can of garbage in the attic and this was florida central florida it was in the ni- mid-90s very humid it, whatever bacteria was in, it was thriving up there. And so I stuck my head up there and oh, looked no. around and I, I was, a, am like, okay, I can't immediately see what it is. I'm not even going to try and find this because as part of our home deal, we got something, I don't know if it was, I don't know how it worked, but we had a service with like a pest company that was like built into somehow built into this. You could call them with the problem. So right. I called them. I said, We've got, we've got a problem, and the problem that, uh, th- that it turns out – they okay, so first they send a guy out there, and he goes up there, and he, for a minute, he comes down, and he's like, I have to call my manager out here. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, wow. So he calls his manager out, and they put on these sort of white jumpsuits with masks on. And they go up there, and they're both up there. And they the one guy comes out. He's drenched in sweat. He's like, do you happen to have uh, a, a long board with a nail in it? I don't like anything about this story. I said, yes, I do. I do happen have I do have that. Yeah, because, uh,
1: because <laughs> as a self-hating Jew, of course, I'm ready to be crucified at any time. That's right.
0: Hmm? We keep the We all have those. That's what we're issued. That's right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and uh, and so I, I I got the thing for him, and he's up there for a long time, and then he, the other guy comes down, and he's like, I had to get take a break from it. <laughs> what did, what is it up there? He said, I'm guessing. He said at least a, a 12 to 15 pound, uh, possum died up there. Oh, and as possums are wont to do when they're in the throes of death, they wedge themselves into the least accessible place that they possibly can. So they were up there and then he just brought like eight trash bags up there with him. They were up there kind of hacking at it and trying to like break it up and pull it out of the corner. And where it had positioned itself was right over the AC duct. And I will tell you that the house never really smelled right for the whole, whatever, two, three years that we lived there. Oh boy. It was the worst. It's just the worst. And like you said, like this is homeownership. This is what it is. Like people imagine buying a house is going to be this wonderful little thing. And like, maybe I'll do some gardening on the weekend and I'll mow my own yard. And then you wind up with a dead possum on day two. Yeah. I, there's something to be said what,
1: what my my aunt used to have a, a house in Hawaii, and it was a it was built in that sort of sixties cinder block style where there was absolutely nothing to the construction of the house that wasn't completely evident at one glance, and partly it's because Hawaii, because the climate enables you to do this, but like poured cement floor. So nothing underneath that. Mm -hmm. And then cinder block walls. Right. Except for the front of the house, which was a wall of glass. Right. And then a kind of cantilevered roof that was uninsulated and just beams and then a flat roof on top of it. So nowhere for critters to hide, nowhere for things to go die. But because it was because it was Hawaii, if you left the house unattended for very long, it would get completely colonized by wasps Uh. and um, mongooses or (laughs) mongoose and uh, geckos and snails and. Chickens and snakes and every, well, maybe not snakes, but every other kind of, of uh, because Hawaii is a teeming, Wildlife, teeming right?
0: critters, right? Yeah. And so
1: whenever you would arrive there, you would have to spend the first few days just fighting back nature. You'd have to figure out a way to get the wasps out of there, and then you'd have to shoo all the geckos out, and who knows how they got in. But at least there were no... there there was nowhere for a possum to crawl and crawl up into a crawl space and die. Mm. And my house, it seems like is just, it's just tailor made for it's, you know, because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have a basement. It's not actually on a foundation. It's just built on some, they threw some boards down in the dirt and started building a house. on. (laughs) It's basically like, uh, there, are, there should be signs all around it, neon signs like in the movie Beetlejuice,
0: <laughs> where
1: it's just like, "Come on in, critters!" There, all the chicken wire in the world isn't uh, isn't going to keep you out because you can get in because there are trees that touch the roof.
0: Oh, there are yeah. a million
1: ways, a million ways for for varmints to come in and then find little places to have their babies and die miserable deaths and smell like a trash fire.
0: Did you ever have termites or anything like that? Have to get tended? No, I don't think that termites are are as big
1: of a problem in Washington as they are other places. We have, we 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 do have some advantages. We don't have any. Um. We 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 have a lot of varmints, but most of the truly destructive, poisonous, and and like. Nightmare varmints, where you where you buy a million dollar house and then you discover that it's it's basically just been turned to turned to uh, cardboard by eat by critters that eat, yeah, or like poisonous critters that come in and and hide in your shoes and stab you with their little tails.
0: Oh.
1: We don't have anything like that. We've got a lot of that here. Yeah, Texas is full of it. I i i was sleep, i was staying at a friend's house in Denton and woke up to a scorpion.
0: Yeah, standing on the on the coffee table, mm-hmm. looking at me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. I didn't no. like it one bit. No, we've got all of that here. In Florida, the things that we had in Florida, with the exception of the gators, which very rarely do they get into your swimming pool. Like that's not a gators. normal happening. Yeah. But other than them, the things that we had in Florida were more just miserable creatures as opposed to things that really could, could hurt you or were terrifying. And, you know, you had the very large sort of roach palmetto bug things that could all fly. And, and, you know, but like, it's not going to hurt you. It's just you have a giant flying roach in your house at one in the morning. Yeah. It's not it's not harmful. It's just terrible. But here we've got scorpions and we have tarantulas. There's apparently at least two different kinds of tarantulas that apparently, you know, like if you leave your shoes out in the garage, they will, they will go to sleep in your shoe or other things like that. And and, and again, like their bites are not terrible. They're like a bee sting at worst, but a tarantula. Yeah. The kind here anyway, but the idea of a spider that's that big and like, there was one that was in uh, my garage within the first few months of when I moved here. And I remember I had pulled into the garage with the car and I got out. And as I was walking by the side of the car, what I, I saw what I thought was a shadow kind of shrink a little bit in a slow, intelligent way. And I, I, you know, it's like one of those things Like, did, did I just see that or probably not, but there was a sinking feeling like you don't want to know. And then, then you have this, well, I have kids. Yeah. Right. You have kids, you know, and like some problems will go away on their own and other ones come back on their own. And this seemed like the kind that wouldn't just go away and might come back. So. I, I I looked down there and as I walked closer to the shadow, the same thing of it kind of shrinking into itself happened again and I realized this was a tarantula. And this was the first time that I had ever seen a tarantula where there wasn't a barrier of glass surrounding it.
1: Right. It's just on the hoof.
0: Right. It was really an and it and I were in you know, on equal, equal standings with one another. Right. right you sure. know, sure. It's just as afraid of you as you are of it. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but uh, like it, this was its home, you know, like it, it was just walking around. And I was just walking around.
1: Yeah. Right. And uh, what did you do?
0: Well, I know that you it
1: out with a broom.
0: Yes. And, and I, I still feel bad about this story because the, the short version is that the spider died, but not because I wanted to kill it. Um, but I wanted it out of my garage. Yeah. Sure. And I didn't you know, I'm you have said that you will not kill you will not kill a spider. I don't typically kill spiders. If I find a spider in my house, there is I would say there is if it if it's the mean looking kind, I I will kill it. And people have written in to me to say I should not kill them. I know that. But I do have kids around and, and sometimes it just that just happens. Yeah. Um but the this spider i recognized on the one hand i knew rationally it poses no real harm like it could make a bee sting type thing happen but it doesn't really pose harm to me it is beneficial it is in its home of of the you know wildlife well apparently there's like a mating season and where we live in hill country they they love to run around and do this mating season thing and i thought okay let let me just make it go away. I don't want to kill it. And what? How would you even kill a spider this big? Like it's yeah, you'd, an, have, you'd have to use a crossbow. It's an animal, yeah. you know. And I thought, okay, so I got a broom, and I I fl- you know fl- flicked it, swept it out. Sure, you flick it now. At this point, on it's the spider's fault, not mine. I'm because I'm assuming as you start to
1: whisk the spider that it also takes off like it's m- moving under its own power
0: yeah it should have and it should have kept going but instead it ran back up the driveway uh-oh and back in toward me in the garage and started to put its little front oh legs up oh oh, oh it was giving you some it was giving you some guff right it did it, it wouldn't back down like it should have
1: wait a minute this spider's well, I can't wait to hear how this story
0: ends. Well, it doesn't end well. So okay. I flick it back again down. Sure. And again, it comes back up. <gasps> this spider's really got some moxie. Yes, he was very. So at the last, I, I flick it down again. Now, my driveway is on a, kind of like a big, it's a big hill. And so this time it it kind of went rolling down and tumbling Uh and tumbling and tumbling and tumbling down to the bottom of the driveway where it, it didn't get back up. So you flicked it with a little bit of, you put some English on it. Because this was number three, third time you have to get rid of it.
1: Right. Right. So you, you did, you you used some force, you used a
0: move that you learned from watching curling (laughs) late night television. (laughs) Yeah. Because the first time I thought I just, just go away. I don't want to hurt you. The second time is like, Hey, I'm not joking around the third time I meant it. But it didn't. I will get, hurt you. Yeah. And I, I thought I just wanted it to go away. And so then I, then it went down to the bottom of the driveway. I said, okay, it's gone. But then I just stood there for a while and it didn't, it didn't come back up. It didn't get up. It didn't do anything. So I went down to the bottom of the driveway where it was. And I saw that it apparently had died and I didn't, I didn't touch it or anything. And I went back again a few hours later and it was definitely dead. It had just died. I guess a shock was too much for it or it was brittle or I don't know.
1: Wait a minute. Now you're trying to you're trying to tell me and
0: our listeners that the spider died of shock? I don't know what killed it. It something happened to it. It died and that was the end of that. You didn't you didn't you didn't reflect
1: back on the on the the extra spin you put on that last broom. Well, I'm
0: spike? sure that it was my fault that it died, but it was it's fault that it kept coming back in the same direction. Why didn't it just go lesser right
1: listen i am not saying i'm not accusing you of spider murder i think you were i think you were acting in (laughs) self-defense as far as i can tell from the so from this version i have children to protect we don't have the spiders version of the story yeah but i'm just saying to (laughs) send a spider rolling down a to send basically what sounds like a, a a spider that was the size of a pie
0: yeah it was a big it was a big one
1: rolling down a driveway to its demise
0: yeah
1: you must have
0: you must have put a little bit of
1: well, e- extra sauce. I won't
0: that. deny that the adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. And I was a li- now what you must know about me and we haven't really talked about this is that I won't say I have a, an arachnophobia per se, but I have a different kind of relationship to spiders than the average person in okay. that, in that I am fairly spider averse mm-hmm. and at times in my life, I have been very afraid of spiders and very much kill, kill, kill kind of an attitude. <laughs> toward, Pussycat yes, Go-Go. Yes, I was wondering if you would say that. But uh, very much a, a an anti-spider kind of person. And uh, some of our listeners mentioned that they were sad that in the episodes where you filled in for Merlin on Back to Work – that I didn't bring up the, my spider sense and the theory that I have about my ability to, to create spiders. Does it tingle? Kind your, of.
1: Your spider sense? Now, yeah. wait a minute. So did you overcome your spider fear in a kind of G. Gordon Liddy way by tying yourself into a tree during a <laughs> lightning storm and, <laughs> and eating a spider or something? What did you do? Well... How, how, how are you less afraid of spiders now than you were before?
0: Dealing with a tarantula really helped. And a few months before that... I had been, um, I had put my kid in the, in the tub, they were going to get a bath or something like that. And there, there was a spider in the tub and it was walking toward my child and I was the only thing that was going to, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't just leave. You know what I mean? Like I had to do, I had to do something. And my normal at response when I saw a spider was just leave the house, you know. But I couldn't because my kid was there. I had to save my kid. And I I destroyed the spider and I it was very big. And I destroyed it and I killed it. And I realized at this time that like this I had an inner strength. The mama lion inside of me, you know, stepped to the forefront and I protected my child from the spider. And I realized that maybe spiders weren't something I need to be so afraid of. So that was like step one. Right. And, and then dealing with the tarantula was step two in overcoming the, the fear. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm more, I don't like spiders, but I'm much, much more relaxed when I encounter one. That's good.
1: I, I, uh, I have a good friend who is spider averse. And I get phone calls at all hours of the day and night come over and get the spider off the ceiling.
0: Oh, oh the ceiling or, is that's
1: something i still. Be, yeah. And I and I and I feel like, you know, for a while it was cute, then it was maybe not cute but charming or <laughs> But now I just feel like ah, God damn it. All right. Here I come. And I get get the spider. And the, you know, we have big spiders here in Seattle. Oh, do you?
0: But they are none of them you know, that w- people talk about the brown recluse. Yes, that's a terrible fear of mine. We yeah. have um, those in Texas and the Black Widow.
1: And they say that we have them here, but, you know, 99% of the spiders that
0: you see here
1: are just, I mean, there's a lot of variety. I have a barn, right? So I see- Wait, your house has a
0: barn too?
1: I do have a barn and, and I see a tremendous variety of spiders Ugh. because spiders love a barn. That's a thing that maybe you didn't know about them. <laughs> if you built a barn on your property, all the spiders would congregate there. Uh, spiders like a barn, but they also like to build a web right in front of the front gate of mm. your house. Yes. Where it's right in your face. Uh, but, you know, spiders, like, I, I have I have a pretty good relationship with spiders, but but a couple of years ago, and I, I, I'm so upset at myself because I had an iPhone at this point and I did not think to film this event, but I was, it was late summer and I was watching a spider in her web out in front of my house. And I was kind of watching her for a while. And then I noticed that uh, another spider had, was approaching her web. And then I saw with my own eyes, a thing which I had read about and seen maybe, on film strips. But I watched as this spider came to the edge of her web and started plucking the strings of her web. Wow. Sending her, playing her a song. And I watched her respond in from the center of her web, like turn to face this other spider. And he played this song and then he came into her web and got a little closer to her and was the whole time playing 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 on her on her silk wow and she let him get closer and closer and closer and he's playing the song playing a song frantically frantically and he's much smaller than she is yeah playing 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 and got closer and closer and she's in the center of her web and he and she has her feelers out on you know, her, she has her, her arms all touching different strings of her web and he's playing all these different strings and you can really see them communicating. And she is really picking up what he's laying down. Yeah. (laughs) And he gets all the way up to where he's right on top of her, right, you know, next to her and he's playing the strings and now he's like touching her. Hmm. With his and you know and but but kind of very tentative and like snake charmery, oh kind of yeah, like you know, wah wah wah, sort of hypnotizing, and then she just grabs him, fangs him, <laughs> oh man, spins him, <laughs> and then keeps spinning him, wrapping him in silk until he's just a tiny little uh, clump. Ugh. And sticks him in her web. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, holy shit. Yeah. I am watching some mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom right in my front yard. And I don't know why. I mean, I spend not an inconsiderable amount of time in the fall watching spiders do their do their business. Yeah. But I just picked this, I was just already watching her. Uh, and just happened to be watching her when this guy shows up. So I'm like, this is inc- that that was incredible, and then while I'm she stows him in her web and goes back to the center, and I shit you not, another spider shows up <clears throat> on a different part of her web and starts <laughs> playing the song. Oh man! And I'm like, what the holy crap? She must be sending out some major spider pheromones. Yeah. And every boy spider in the county, and she was a very impressive spider, quite beautiful. So he starts playing the song, and she now turns to face him. Mm -hmm. And he does the exact same thing, plays the song, plays the song, creeps into her web, creeps, 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 plays the song, plays the song, gets right up close to her. You know, snake charmer, feelers. She's very focused very you know still and then pow nabs him (laughs) fangs him spins him then he's a blob
0: what is it then she parks him somewhere what do you think it is about the males that she didn't like or was she just hungry
1: it was all i could think about like these guys are doing everything right. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're playing the song <laughs> right. they are brave and bold, yeah and musical, and they make it all the way they they and I don't know whether from the moment he starts playing the song at the edge of the web that she's just like ha, 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 not you, buddy, but come on or whether she's like, "I like this song, sure, like maybe i I can't tell. I can't tell whether she's like, maybe, maybe. And I don't know whether she's sending stuff back to him through the web that I can't see. He's making a big show of it, right? He's really plucking. But maybe she's sending little little vibrations back. I don't know. So I don't know whether it's part of her scheme or whether it's not until he gets right there that she either says, mm no you suck or whether she's like i do want you to mate with me but also i can't help myself i have to kill you like it's very complicated and i really wish that i had filmed yeah it because i would have studied it many times trying to figure out what did you ever see one make it through no no and i don't know i'm not sure what she was looking for uh i don't think that i had it I definitely, whatever uh, whatever impulse I had to try and play my song for her, I'd seen enough. Seriously. I had seen enough.
0: Our sponsor is Wellfront, a low-cost automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. It works 24-7 to manage your investments or portfolio, keeping it diversified, customizing your risk profile and optimizing its trading behavior to keep your tax bill low, all without ever charging commissions. And, you know, everybody, all of us knows we should be investing for the long term, for our, your fi- family's financial health, you know. And you've probably wondered, like, how should you do this? Should I do it myself? Should I just go and open an account somewhere and, like, try to day trade or something? Should I meet with a man in a suit who has, uh, you know, different uh, ideas about how I should invest my money? No. The answer is... No, no, don't do that either. No, don't do that. Wealthfront. Go to Wealthfront.com and it takes about like five minutes to sign up because you fill out this little profile that helps them understand what your risk comfort level is. Are you someone in your early 20s with your first job with a little bit of money but a lot of time and you should be maybe more aggressive perhaps? Or are you somebody who is thinking, you know what? I may retire one of these days. I'm a little more conservative. You answer these questions it helps them figure it out and they take real science... Science, science, tax loss, harvesting, direct indexing, optimizing after tax returns. I mean, all of this stuff that's usually has been historically reserved for the supremely wealthy people. They're now in your hands. They are now here for you. There's zero commissions, no hidden fees, and uh, they use only charge one quarter of one percent a year, which is very, very affordable Lots of people are getting in on this. And uh, if you use the special URL, wealthfront.com slash five by five, you're going to get your first fifteen thousand dollars managed entirely free of charge for life. That's forever. So uh, go check that out, wealthfront.com slash five by five. Invest the right way. You don't have to put a lot of money in there. You can put a little bit of money and make it start working for you. Uh, So go check it out. Thanks very much to wealthfront.com slash five by five. And now we have a disclaimer. (laughs)
1: for compliance purposes i have to tell you that wealthfront inc is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are offered through wealthfront brokerage corporation member f-i-n-r-a and s-i-p-c this is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities investing in securities involves risks and there is the possibility of losing money Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit wealthfront.com to read our full disclosure. <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like a little reggae,
0: yeah. reggae
1: vibe was a good start. I mean, it. <laughs> it
0: uh, yeah, definitely, the pause at risks, I think, is what puts it over the top.
1: Well, listen, there are,
0: <laughs> it does involve risks.
1: Yeah investing in securities. Yes. Uh but you know, your your typical uh, your typical disclaimer read is done <laughs> done in that like monotone fast read. Yes. But I really feel like there's something a little more iry about <laughs> or so, something that can be more iry about a disclaimer.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was that's what I was shooting. I love at. it. I love it. Best ever. <laughs>
1: I don't know about best ever.
0: Yeah. No, I think so. <sighs> This might be a good time to uh to stop for the week. What do you think? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I have a lingering cough.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see you next week, John.
1: Uh I look forward to it very much. And and I think we're gonna we're gonna we're we're about to roll out some exciting uh yes. uh news about road work or exciting uh, addenda or road work uh adjunct properties
0: yes right so we're going to do that i want to say thank you to everybody i don't know john have you are you the type of person who uh who reads reviews uh, i was instructed many years
1: ago by um uh by dave eggers uh when i was a young artist and he was still a young artist Mm -hmm. he asked me Uh, whether or not I read reviews and I said, yes, of course. I mean, and and partly because I loved, before I was making art, I loved reviews. I just liked to read reviews of other things. Mm -hmm. I read read reviews of movies I have no intention of seeing. (laughs) Read reviews of books I have no intention of reading. And so when people started writing reviews about the stuff that I was making, I was thrilled because I already liked the form. And so I read reviews, but of course reviews made me upset sometimes even positive reviews yeah because i felt people didn't understand what i was doing and then uh dave Eggers said so uh, do you read reviews and i was like yeah i love it and he was like don't don't and i and it felt like a trap like he had asked me this sort of cocktail party conversation and I, i answered honestly and then he was like aha i knew it don't read reviews and i said but reviews are great and he was like no no, they are not great. They are not meant for you. <laughs> reviews of your work are written by people for other people. They are not trying to communicate with you and you need to not, uh, put that data in your brain. Do not add that to the voices in your head. Mm. And I ignored him and continued to read reviews. And then, uh, at a later date, we were talking again at a different uh, event and he said, are you tell me honestly, are you still reading reviews? And I was like, yes, <laughs> defiantly. And he said, do not do it. And was mad the second time. And then really gave me a dressing down. And from that point on, I have, uh, I have fought, I've, I've, heeded his advice. And in fact, during this campaign for public office that I just ran, yeah. I was super, Studious about not reading any press about me. Um, and it was one of the things that that saved me. So I do not read reviews. Let's just say.
0: Why do you ask? Ah, uh, only because we have received a handful of reviews. Oh, good. On iTunes, so I won't read them to you. They, I have read them.
1: Do they make you glad?
0: Yes, they are. Uh, they are really surprisingly surprisingly good and and I say surprisingly good not because I didn't think we would have fun and and hopefully make a good show but they're they're universally good um oh. which is shocking to me and makes me very happy so just simply if you don't want to hear them or know them and maybe I shouldn't be reading them but I can't help it um I would say to you the the listeners seem to really enjoy the show so far and I and now I feel like we have, I I personally have to work even harder to never let them down. (laughs) So uh,
1: I bumped into a friend on the street the other day and he said, your dynamic with Dan is so different than your dynamic with Merlin or Dan's dynamic with Merlin. And I was like, wow, what could count for that?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I know. Right. What do you think? Different people. Yeah, different people have different. Uh, but I I don't feel like you're a different. I don't feel like you're a different person than on, Merlin. I know I get that a lot. <laughs> no, no. Like you're not. You're not like one way on that show and one way on on this show. I feel like you're the same. I said that to Merlin about uh, some of his shows too. That like I feel like he's the same guy. Like when I hear him, he's talking about different things, or he you know feels a little different. But I don't know. I mean, was did he mean it in a nice way? I hope.
1: Well, so here's the thing.
0: I think a lot of
1: listeners of your podcast properties have all this understanding of you as this complex personality, all this, all these, these traits. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you for using the nice word and strong feelings about things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and because of my, um, because my consumption of media is what it is. Right. I am still, you know, really encountering you in all your many faceted glory as a, as a, as a new person, as a, as, you know, you're very new to me. Yeah. And so I think a lot of, a lot of the listeners to the program who know you very well are, are watching and waiting and anxiously anticipating uh, when I am going to discover, for instance, the fact that you are uh, someone who, let's say, for instance, doesn't use deodorant okay, or um, doesn't like to be around spiders. Yeah. Some <laughs> interesting tidbit that the listeners are all uh, you can and you can feel them now. If this is still part of the program, yeah,
0: sure. I'll leave if this if you time. haven't stopped recording. No, I'm still timing, going, still going.
1: You can feel them as I'm stretching out and trying to think of some this, trying to think of the thing, trying to imagine what this trait might be. They all know what those traits are. Oh, like, right, they're oh, waiting
0: I, to listen oh, oh. for you to get to yeah, it. And
1: then I'm like. <laughs> And then I say something dumb like deodorant or spiders and they're like, oh no, like, (laughs) oh, it's, he's so close uh, to, uh, but, but I'm not, you know, I'm not giving anything away. And so I think there's a lot of excitement there. Yeah. Uh, uh, And, you know, and, and and the fact that that is excitement is testimony to the fact uh, to to how dull people's lives really are. (laughs) But also... (laughs) Also you know it's one of those things where you put you put uh two strong personalities together some somewhere in some in some space and you expect a certain combustibility mm-hmm. uh and you know you're very you're very polite you know you're you you also are waiting draw, drawing me in drawing me in to your
0: to your lair <laughs> like so the, like the spiders right.
1: Yeah, so I really feel, I feel kind of like I do in a lot of situations in life, which is that I'm kind of a dumb bear with his hand caught in a honey jar. Right. And I'm being lured by hunters into a sort of bear snare. Right. Not to, not to kill me, uh-huh. but to put me on display in a mall somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and That's the end goal. Yeah, and my dumb, bumbling nature will get me there eventually. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to end up in the mall one way or another. But somehow, right. you know, in a Mister Magoo fashion, I keep, I keep avoiding the snares, and just just licking the honey off of my paw. Uh-huh. And 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 the the viewer cannot discern whether the bear is truly that oblivious or whether the bear is wise to the traps, and the oblivion. The, the, the visible oblivion is just a, just a ruse or maybe it's a kind of, maybe it's a kind of special Buddhist dumbness, right? A, like a, like a wise stupidity. So I feel like that's really the, that's, that's how I see the show.
0: It's an exploration, you know, and I, I think that even though I've listened to you on the other shows uh, that you've done all the great shows, I'm still not familiar uh, enough with everything that, that you've done. And I admit, I don't know where the show is going to go at all. And I love that. And that's the part of it that I like the best, you know, (laughs) it could be wax lips. It could be watching spiders. Like it could be exploding cigarettes. I don't know. And that's the most fun for me right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad people are enjoying it and, and keep listening and, you know, I would ask them to to go in and rate the show on iTunes. It does it really, like, that helps more people find the show than anything else, you know? Like, if they enjoy it, share share it. It's a show for sharing. Share the show. Share the it's show. It's a show for sharing. Yes. Share the show.
1: Yes. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that I keep trying to figure out is uh, how to activate this army of uh, listeners because when I encounter podcast listeners in the wild, obviously they're always very skittish mm. and um, you know, they run up and and say some thing and you Well, they're realize, just like, like
0: ants to you anyway. Well, no, 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 that's not true. Size-wise.
1: Well, there's that but <laughs> typically people who, uh, who spend a lot of time listening, I mean, for them to get stuff out of this, they have to already be a certain type of person. That is the type of person I probably would like and and I just, I feel like we have this, we have this tremendous potential energy that we just need to activate in some way. Yeah. And they also want to be activated. So that's, that remains for like us Like a
0: opening our chakras together.
1: Well, yes. Or like getting, uh, <laughs> getting,
0: uh, I don't know,
1: like all showing up in Times Square and, and doing a funny dance. That seems like a real squandering of the opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know what? There are many more
0: episodes for us to explore the worlds of possibility. That is true. And we'll see you. uh, I'll see you next week. All right. Bye.